your, uh, your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Uh, and I'm going to go a little bit further than what the bulletin says. I'm going to go all the way down to verse 28. It will be verses 14 to 28 this morning. If you picked up one of our cart Bibles, you can find that on page 869 is where that begins. Now, before we come to our text, I just wanted to very briefly uh, remind us of the context of the passage uh, this morning. A few weeks ago, we heard uh, the account of, of Mary and Martha, and Jesus teaches that the, the chief virtue, the, the chief duty of believers there is to sit and listen to our Savior, is to sit at his feet. That's the primary thing we are called to do. And then after that, the Lord teaches us how to pray. He teaches us to pray to our Father, to pray for his glory, to pray that his kingdom would come and that we may be kept from temptation. And then Jesus teaches that God wants to give us good things. He wants to answer our prayers if we pray in the way that he has taught us. So that's very briefly, that's the context. And, and I think when we come to our text this morning, it can seem like a very sudden jump. I think this text is placed here very specifically and for a good reason. And so I hope that we can see that uh, this morning. But before we turn to look at God's word, um, let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your strength. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your word. And so this morning, will you uh, show us more of your strength and more of your power and teach us more of your word and to understand more about you and about your son through the study of your word this morning. So thank you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Luke 11, verses 14 through 28. Now, he, Jesus, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of his word. Now, back in November, just a few months ago, uh, someone broke into the home of Ms. Willie Murphy. 
Ms. Murphy heard the assailant enter her house and she called the police. Now at this point, so far, I think that we would all do the same thing. You hear someone come into your house, you call the police. We're on the same page, we would have taken the same actions, but as this story goes, that's where I think most of us would diverge from what Ms. Murphy did. Because you see, uh, Willie Murphy is 82 years old and also a champion bodybuilder. In 2018, she won a regional bodybuilding competition at the age of 81, and she herself claims that she can deadlift 225 pounds. So she called the police and she waited in the dark for the intruder to come toward her. And when he did, she was waiting. She picked up a table, broke it across him, jumped on him, and hit him and held him there until the police arrived. And somewhere in that fray, in the mix, she grabbed a bottle of shampoo, poured the shampoo on his face, continued to hit him, and held him there until the police got there. The police were so impressed that they asked to take pictures with her after the incident. <laughs> you can find this story in the New York Daily News, and the headline that caught my attention to even read this article was Robbery Foiled by Octogenarian Bodybuilder. <laughs> and so you can imagine, after this incident, who would dare break into Ms. Murphy's home? No one questions her strength. No one would wonder whether she could protect her home, her goods, her belongings. But in our text, that's what is done to Jesus. He has his strength questioned. He has his source of power. He has his authority questioned. So that's what we're going to start with this morning. We're going to see that Jesus' strength is questioned. That's our first point. And then Jesus points out the problem. He points out the issue, the, the logical flaw with that argument, with that question. And then Jesus is going to tell us just exactly how strong he is. And then he's going to tell us where our strength comes from. So that's our breakdown this morning. Uh, he's going to have his strength questioned. He's going to point out the problem. And Jesus is going to tell us how strong he is. And he's going to tell us where our strength comes from. So look back with me, if you will, at verse 14, what it says here. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Jesus here does a miraculous sign. He cast out a demon. And it's a demon that has made a man mute. And this is part of the reason I went over some of the context again. It's important to keep in mind uh, what was happening right before this. We've just been taught about prayer. And this man was mute. He was made mute by this unclean spirit, by this demon, but now Jesus has cast him out, and now at last he can offer prayer and praise and worship, and he can fellowship with the people around him in a way he hasn't been able to while he was mute. This reminds me of a child, and I'm sure many of you have seen this, a child who can't uh, get the words out. You can see the ideas in their head, and they just, uh, maybe they're two or three years old, and they just don't have all of the words to express all of the things that they're feeling. And you can see that frustration build in that child as they're trying to communicate, and they just can't. I think that's what's happened to this man. He's been made mute in his desires to communicate, and he, and he can't. Satan's forces are strong, and this is one of the weapons they've used is to inhabit someone and to keep him mute, to keep him from prayer, to keep him from praise. 
So Jesus does this miraculous sign, this feat of strength, and casts this demon out, and now he can speak, and the people react to this, and they react in many different ways. And what's fascinating is that Luke almost skips over that Jesus casts him out, right? That's not the main focus of the text. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. The demon had gone out. The mute man spoke. The people marveled. It just kind of moves along very quickly. So the thrust of this text is really on the reaction, on the fallout to this casting out the demon. And so let's look at at the reactions the people have. And the first one is that some marvel. That's all the text tells us. People marveled. And this is the right response, isn't it? We should all marvel at the power and the strength of Jesus and his ability to defeat the enemy. We're not like Jesus. We uh, often question where our own strength comes from. And we read stories like these or we read stories like the apostles preaching and thousands are coming to belief in Christ. And so we wonder if we could ever do something like that. We wonder why aren't things like this happening today. And so we wonder where our strength comes from. And so we read of Jesus doing this and we marvel. And we marvel at the greatness and the glory and the authority of Christ to cast out demons. It's not the reaction of all the people, though. Some begin to accuse him of casting out demons by the prince of demons, by Beelzebul. And just the absolute gall of these people. They had witnessed a sign. They'd witnessed a demon be cast out of a person they knew was mute, and then they hear him speak. They had seen him heal a man, and they have the audacity to question where that power and that authority comes from. This is blasphemy of the highest order. This is associating Christ, associating the Holy One of God, our Savior, associating him with evil, with sin, and with all things contrary to God. This is defiant, willful ignorance of the truth of Christ. And so we come to the third response, and it seems reasonable. After this accusation that Christ cast out demons by demons. So the third response seems reasonable to us. It seems like this is maybe the middle road. So our text says that others wanted to test him. They asked for another sign from heaven. Another sign? They have just seen him cast out a demon. What more could they need? Asking for more at this point is just further unbelief. It is more willful denial of who Christ is. But it seems reasonable. But Christ is going to deal with that in our next section. I don't want to step on on Matthew's toes, but the next section after this, Jesus calls a generation asking for a sign, a wicked generation. And that no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. So both of these, even though it seems reasonable, both of those second and third responses are willful denials of the strength and of the power of Christ. So what we see in the text is the only response to Jesus' strength here is to marvel. It's so easy in our weakness and in our frail flesh to doubt the strength of God. Scripture is full of accounts of Jesus' strength. And we should marvel and worship him because of that, not have reason to doubt him more. What a great comfort that is. Jesus is strong, and we see it over and over and over. We see his strength in Scripture. He is strong when we are weak. And thank God, because the enemy is powerful. 
So his strength has been questioned. But now Jesus is going to point out the flaw in that, lar- in that logic. He's going to point out the problem with their argument. And he's going to show them, show us, how to interpret what he does. So you look back at 17. It says, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. The Greek here for the divided household is literally house upon house. House just falls in on itself. This is perhaps if you've seen a controlled demolition of a building in a city. Uh, They don't want to damage the buildings around them, so they they plant explosives and they design these explosives so that the, the building crumbles in on itself. That's the idea here, is that a kingdom divided destroys itself from the inside. It collapses in on itself. And that's the problem, right? How can a divided kingdom stand? Why would Satan destroy his own kingdom? Why would he surrender this weapon of making someone mute? Satan wouldn't do this. It makes no sense. They would want to remain in control of that person and keep him from prayer, keep him from praise, keep him from fellowship and worship. It makes no sense. So what Christ does, he he takes it a step further. He takes their logic and he uh, applies it, the text says, to their own sons. If they say that Jesus is casting out demons by Beelzebul, then what about others? People that you know and trust. What of their sons? Uh, Sons here could mean their actual children. It could just mean people they know and trust, their followers. If you're going to apply this to Jesus, what Christ is saying, you have to apply it to them as well. Why is it just me that's being questioned? Therefore, they, these sons, will be your judge. They have, they have trusted, they are casting out demons in the name of God, and they have some spiritual authority over these people. They haven't blasphemed in the way that you all have, and so there's some judgment that's coming. So Christ has taken their logic to its, its full conclusion, and he explicitly offers them the truth of what they've witnessed. They are making these assumptions But he tells them, if it's not by Beelzebul, but if it is in verse 20, if it is by the finger of God that he casts out demons, then the kingdom has come. The finger of God, that's the spirit of God, the power of God. Now this is very evidently a reference to to Exodus 8, where it says the finger of God brought the plagues. So how did God rescue his people? It's by the finger of God. It's his power. It's his spirit. How many times do we see God say it is with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand that I brought you out of the land of Egypt? It's the same idea. So if it is not by Beelzebul, if it's not by demons that I cast out demons, if it is by the finger of God, then the kingdom has come. And this is the message that Jesus has been preaching from the very beginning of his ministry isn't it? If you look at the beginning, especially of Mark, but of all the Gospels, the message that Jesus preaches is repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. So the only real conclusion that we can draw here is not that Jesus cast out demons by other demons, by Satan, by Beelzebul, but that the kingdom has come, that it is by God's hand, by his finger, 
that these demons are cast out. So again, I, I think our context is crucial for this understanding. We were just taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. Why would any kingdom wish to destroy itself? And there's this, this spiritual reality that we sometimes forget, that Satan is the prince of this world. It's not against flesh and blood that we wrestle, but against the prince of the power of the air. And so when we come to this text, we also have to admit that it's our sin that handed that over to Satan. That our sin uh, gave him the kingship. And so when Christ comes preaching that the kingdom has come, he's preaching, I've come to take back what I created, to take what is mine, and I will not let anything divide it. So no, it is not by demons that I'm casting out demons. I'm casting out demons because this is my kingdom and I will not have it divided. And it's in his kingdom that we are bid to come and pray like the mute man was not able to where we are bid to come in fellowship and to use our voices to lift up prayer and praise. So as we've seen the the strength of Christ's question. We've seen him point out just how wrong that answer is. But Jesus goes so much further and he tells us a parable to explain just exactly how strong he really is. And in verse 21, Jesus uh, begins this parable of a strong man. And our text reads it this way. When a strong man guards his own palace, fully armed, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now these two short verses contain in a parable form the explanation of what Christ did in verse 14. A strong man, Satan, a demon, had possessed a man and made him mute. The demon was strong, using his, his weapons to keep the man safe. And that's how Satan's kingdom works, isn't it? The enemy uses whatever they can to keep us from God. Now, many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the screw tape letters. It's a fictional account that C.S. Lewis wrote of an older demon giving advice to a younger demon on how to keep humans from God. And so uh, Lewis writes this For a long time, it will be quite impossible to remove spirituality from a believer's life. Very well, then, we must corrupt it. Before this, the demons have been considering other things. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him. So whatever the situation is, they have an idea. The enemy has a plan to keep us from the Lord. If you think simply going to church is enough, it's not. They have a plan for that. If you think that you're filled with some spirituality, that is not enough. They have a weapon against that. And 1 Peter 5 tells us to be aware our adversary, the devil, because he prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And this is the mindset of the enemy, the spiritual forces of evil. They are real, and we ought to be aware of their plans. And the enemy is strong, and they wish to devour us. And so here Christ paints the picture of Satan as this first strong man. So we ought to be aware of him. The Westminster uh, Larger Catechism 
tells us that we may be assaulted, foiled, and for a time led captive by temptations, that Satan, the world, and the flesh are ready powerfully to draw us aside and ensnare us. And too often we, we so easily dismiss the, the truly evil and heinous intent of the devil. The devil wants nothing but our destruction and to keep us from Christ. We're also drawn aside by the world and the flesh. Temptation is all around us from without and from within. And like God tells Cain back in Genesis chapter 4, we need to be wary because sin is crouching at our door and its desire is for us. The enemy is real and wants nothing good for us. The world is full of temptation and offers us ways to sin in ways that sometimes we can't even imagine. Even our own flesh has been corrupted by sin. We are born into sin and we are dead in our trespasses. And what can we do against these? What can dead men do to fight such strength? But thank God the parable doesn't end there. Thank God there's another verse. Jesus continues to speak, and as he does, uh, whenever he's battling the devil or battling a demon, his response to the strong man, his response is dripping with scripture. So listen again to verse 22 from our passage. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now listen to the, the final verses of Isaiah chapter 49. Can, they be, can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. All along, God has known that Satan would try to contend with him, that Satan would try to capture us. So even back in Isaiah, he says, no, I will contend with him, and I will rescue you, and they, everyone will know that I am the Lord, your Savior. So from this parable, we have to ask who the spoils are, what the spoils are. I kind of gave it away because they're people. They're us. They're you. They're me. And Satan, that strong man, is so desperate uh, to keep us from God that he, he hoards us. He uses all of his weapons and his armory, and he grabs what people he can, and he tries to keep them from the Lord. But Jesus, and I love those words, but Jesus, but God, but Jesus, Despite all the evil and all the plans and schemes of the devil, but Jesus. Because Jesus is that stronger man. He is the warrior who comes and attacks Satan and takes away his armor, takes away his weapons. He defeats all the plans and the wiles of the devil, and then he rescues the spoils. He rescues them, he rescues us. I think too often we can have the wrong uh, idea about Jesus. We think of him as this, this meek and mild one who laid down his life, and he is, and he did just that. He is the one who, in order to defeat Satan, gave himself up. 
Others say he's just a good teacher or a good rabbi, and he certainly is. He is the good teacher. But he's the warrior. He is that beautiful and terrifying figure from Revelation 1, where it says, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So Christ, in this short parable, just these two verses, is telling us who he is, and he is the savior of his people. He is the warrior who is stronger than the enemy. He is the one when all hope seems lost, the one when the world, our flesh, and the devil surround us and crush us. He is the one who can do all things. He is the one who fights the strongest forces in existence and emerges victorious. No, he doesn't just emerge victorious. He is the one who, with the power of his word, created all things. He is the one who sets all things right. He is the one who, with his voice, calmed the storm. He is the one the, dimble, the, the demons, excuse me, he's the one the demons tremble before. This is Jesus. He is not just a teacher not just a good friend, not just our ally. He is all of those kings, but he, all of those things. He is the warrior king, and the prophet, and our priest. There is no sense of weakness in Christ. Do you not know that he could have called down legions of angels to rescue him from the cross, and yet he did not? For the surpassing glory and greatness of God, he remained silent like a lamb led to slaughter. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. That is the strength of Christ. And if you understand that, then there can be no middle ground. He's either the warrior savior, and so you are with him. And if you don't believe that, you're against him. That is what Christ is telling us about himself in this short parable. He is the stronger man. So in our passage this morning, I think that one thing remains. And it's what about us? Christ has told us explicitly who he is. He has shown us his strength. He has cast out a demon. He has done this miracle, and then he's had his strength questioned. I think this text now turns in some way to address us. Because we can all be that mute man, can't we? Maybe we're not actually inhabited by a demon, but our sin can overwhelm us and surround us, and we are so lost in that and surrounded by the temptations, we become mute. And so what do we do? So Jesus returns after this parable. He returns to the topic that started the whole conversation. He returns to an unclean spirit. And the sense is here in verses 24 and 25 that the, the spirit has been cast out. So when the unclean spirit, verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. So what is happening here? The demon has left, it's been cast out, and if you had had a demon, you'd probably do a little tidying up. 
after. It makes sense. You would feel violated in some way, so you clean up and you put your house in order. But that's it. The house is still empty. The demon has left and is traveling through waterless places, looking for another place to live. He's looking for another house. So he's traveling through the desert, and, and no people are in the desert. People don't live in the desert. So he returns to his house, and he finds the house, even though it's swept and in order, it's still empty. So he goes in, and he invites seven more spirits stronger. And the state of that person at the last is worse than at the first. So it's not enough just to stop sinning. It's not enough just to have a demon cast out. We have to have something else because we are not strong enough. As I said before, we are dead in our sins. So it's not enough just to stop the sin in our lives. I have a friend who has a chocolate lab, a dog. Beautiful dog, super high energy. If you don't know chocolate labs, take a lot of care and a lot of effort. And he asked me to take care of this dog for a week while he and his wife were on vacation, so I agreed. And by the end of that week, my apartment was covered in hair. Absolutely, every piece of anything that was remotely fabric had dog hair on it. Um, so after that dog left, I swept and I vacuumed and I for months was still finding dog hair there. After that dog left, I, I cleaned up, I swept, I tidied up. Now, if he had asked me to sit his dog again, I would have done things much differently. I would have put a sheet over my sofa, I would have made sure that my laundry didn't just stay in the basket, but actually got put into the closet. I would have shut the door to my bedroom so that my comforter didn't have chocolate lab hair all over it. And I think that's the sense here. It's not enough just to clean up and get rid of it. We have to do something. There must be something to put in our place. And I think there's a proper response to Christ's strength. We can't just sweep our house and assume that things are fine. Because no, when that demon or that sin or that thing that plagues us or torments us, when it returns, it'll be far worse than it was before. Where could we possibly find the strength to do that? And the answer may seem obvious, and you'd be right. It comes from our great warrior king. It comes from Christ. Look at the last two verses in our passage, verses 27 and 28. So what Christ says here, listening uh, to all these things that Christ has been doing and saying, a crowd has gathered, and a woman cries out and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. What this woman is saying is that Jesus speaks differently. He speaks as one with authority. He speaks as one with a confidence to go out and win the battle. So blessed is the one who raised you, is what she says. It's important to catch here what Jesus does. Uh, in the Greek, it's real obvious he doesn't come across in English super well, but what Christ says is uh, not, no, you're wrong, it's more, yeah, you're right, but, but there's a lot more to it as well. So he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yes, my mother ought to be blessed, but really, she hears the word of God and obeys. You all remember what the angel 
says to Mary, blessed are you and highly favored. She heard the word of God and obeyed. And so Christ takes this opportunity to point out just what gave Mary the strength to raise Jesus. It was hearing the word of God and keeping it. So where does our strength come from? It comes from that chief duty, that chief uh, thing that we are supposed to do as believers. It comes from sitting at the feet of our Savior. It comes from sitting at uh, the feet of our warrior king and listening to him. And he tells us just how strong he is. And he says, come and listen to the word and come and obey and pray for the things that I've taught you to pray. So blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. That's where we get our strength from. It's not from ourselves. It's from the one who is stronger than Satan. It's from the one who defeated Satan and his demons by not only casting out an unclean spirit, but ultimately defeated him on the cross with his death and burial and resurrection. And as the saying goes, to the victor go the spoils. Satan, the prince of this world, was strong, he was armed, and he tried to keep those spoils for himself. But one stronger, one mightier than he, came and claimed them for himself. So in those moments when you are that mute person, the person so beat down by sin and temptation that you feel like, like Atlas, holding the weight of the world on your shoulders, when your sin is so present in your life and you feel you can't uh, escape it when, as, as the song goes, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, where does our hope come from? It comes from Christ. And Christ bids you come and sit at his, at his feet, sit and listen to the one who spoke all things into existence. Sit and listen to the prophet, to the priest, to the king. Come sit and listen and pray as he taught us to pray. And then what joy he offers you. What exuberance when that great savior, the great shepherd of his sheep, that one who is stronger than all the rest, when he calls you to come and sit with him. That is what Christ is calling you to today. Come and sit at the feet of the one who fights for his people and obey what he teaches. Because blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your strength. Thank you for your son and uh, the strength that he has to defeat our enemies, the strength to rescue his people. Thank you for the strength to, uh, for Christ to humble himself on the cross and in doing so to glorify you all the more and to rescue us. Thank you that Christ is uh, not what culture says, that he's some weak and mild teacher, but thank you that he is strong and is our savior who bids us come and sit at his feet. So we pray all these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.